Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Dewing Grain are independent and local grain traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, they can offer you the best strategies to achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Each week on our podcast, we begin with the market report, giving you up-to-date information and analysis, followed by the farm chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues with a guest or two. So let's start with Andrew Dewing for this week's market report. And don't forget, you can always check current market prices on the homepage of our website, dewinggrain.co.uk. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows are my thoughts or gut instincts on what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market report for week commencing 12th of February 2024. Um, it's a car crash, isn't it? Let's face it. The wheat price, which I think the cover picture of this week's podcast, if you look at your socials, uh, is a picture of the May London wheat chart, which has taken a trip to Dover and jumped off the edge. And I've got to say I'm surprised at the price it's got down to already and it feels at this precise moment like it's going to continue um and it's not yeah creates massive concern for the for all of the farmers that we have who haven't sold everything and all the people that we try and have correspondence with we we have been expecting it to come down we've been talking that through but it's come lower than we thought to an you know a lack of break-even price it's a it's yeah, it's really grim, and um, it has become clear that, that I think Europe has had more Ukrainian wheat seep into it than um, is officially being stated. It, it's there's just too much wheat around everywhere, and it's undermining everything, uh, which is yeah, I don't, I'm really really in a muddle with this at the moment. Our view is that um, the weather, which last year we exceeded 1.5 degrees, as you may or may not know, which is the, the, the trigger point, there are bigger and bigger catastrophic, more uh, highly fueled weather events that are causing massive floods or heat waves or droughts or whatever. Those things are going to get worse. And so our view is that as we go through this growing season, having had the wettest autumn for ever um we're coming into a period where it will balance itself out and it'll go the other way uh, exceedingly hard that is only six weeks away when we'll start feeling that that you know that that if it if it occurs so it could turn on a sixpence at some point in between now and then if the weather decides to go against us or the perceived weather is going to go against us that's the other thing the numbers of speculators in our market all wanting something to happen um, I've used the, the analogy of, you know, if you go out with a load of UFO hunters in the Nevada desert and they all look to the sky, you know, there's 90 of them there and, and, and 11 of them will see a definite UFO. I saw that. You see that? Yeah, I saw that. Well, it wasn't, but they, they want to see it, therefore they do. So a speculator looking for a weather market will see something and if there's enough of them, you know, in a, in a little little crowd all running off in one direction clutching their sandal going, it's a sign then they're all going to buy it and then the chartists will join in and everybody joins in with it and you just need a nice long-range weather forecast saying it's going to be hotter than it should be and we, we're going up £20 a day without touching the sides and so it's really difficult 
relying on that, hoping for that when it if it doesn't happen, if it just comes benignly, just fabulous production, nice moisture all the time. Well, we've got another week, ten days of rain ahead, so there won't be any early spring barley going in in, in the county. But end of Feb looks like it's dry-ish, albeit a bit cold. Um, then maybe they can crack on the first week of March and, and and drill it. But we'll see if it if it gets held up further by rain and 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 concertinas in the March month, which has got an awfully large amount of sugar beet this season to go in the ground because that's been or is going to be a profitable prop, crop this coming year. Uh, and potatoes have had a good year this last year, so spuds. Sugar beet will take priority from the second half of the month. Um, spring barley's got to slot in there somewhere, and we're all seeing a massive crop of it, allegedly, unless people ditch the idea and go for SFI. Interestingly, I was with, a, with some Danish farmers last night and um, in the conversation. A number of them have been unable to get spring barley malting seed because they, they grew spring feed barley last year and they're using their own seed again. So there isn't, it isn't all pure malting barley in Denmark this coming season, although there will obviously be a big crop of it. But it isn't one-way traffic, just like it isn't going to be quite as big a spring barley crop in the UK this coming season because there's been the last week people planting wheat. So, you know, it's perception and people's interpretation of what's going to happen next quite often get turned into uh, into jelly don't they let's face it anyway so let's let's touch on the prices the price of feed wheat x farm is 155 if you are selling it in the month of late feb and march um can't dress that one up in any way if you sold it for may you get 157 maybe july 163 and if you carry on, you don't lose anything by hanging on to it into the new crop because August is 65x um, as available. So it's a premium. So the downside is now based upon what the new crop does as well. And that, that actually sub-190 on the, on the uh, November futures is also looking pretty grim. Uh, our cost of production is lower for next year. But if you're looking at X farm values for Nov, you're talking a squeeze 177, and that is only 10 pounds under the futures, which is pretty aggressive. Um, and yeah, it's ooh, yuck. Um, feed barley's even worse than that. Um, so I, I, the value of feed barley for March X farm is 138, uh, and harvest is 130, no, it isn't even 138, it's 133, I beg your pardon, and harvest is 135. So somewhere between those two, you know, again, it's, um, I, th I understand new crop has traded, uh, a consumer put a bid out there and bought feed barley at a £34 discount to feed wheat. How about that? So, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's pretty grim, and I'm very sorry that uh, we haven't sold absolutely everything and more, and we could be sitting back on a massive short position that earned us a fortune. But um, anyway, if you want to get even more grumpy, uh, oilseed rape, yeah, right, 328. Uh, I've got some wise advice. Stop growing it. Do not grow oilseed rape. We import 700,000 tonnes of the stuff into this country. It's below cost of production. It is 
you are unable to make a profit growing that crop it's, and with the risks involved with it all right if you've got a here contract and and they keep paying the prices they did for the first year which tempted everybody the you know the the, the, the um the empire have got a contract that was at an enormous price i suspect that will be trimmed back as they've now captured the growers but either way that might still be a profitable way to grow rape but ordinary orchid rape uh, with the risks you're taking, with the flea beetle, etc., and you're competing with people who can spray, and we can import it from anywhere we like, um, you can't compete. So stop growing it, grow something else. That's my my wise advice. Um, and I'm talking against my own book there because we run stores and we make money from you know trading it. So, but I just I can't see the point. Um, this is going to be probably ranked as the most grumpy, miserable market report in the history of our market reports, isn't it? Uh, what else can we talk about? What can we say? Uh, yeah, the, the chat this week is Ian, uh, Ben and myself, where we, we, Ian and I just got back from the farming conference when we, when we recorded it. It was an excellent farming conference, a good assessment of that, um, we also discussed the, the, the my favourite uh, digital grain passport, um, which unanimously had every farming group voting against it. The NFU said they don't want it, NFU Scotland said they don't want it, and the leadership group has interpreted that as feedback, uh, <laughs> which is hilarious. It's a, kind of a Donald Trump moment, isn't it, of like, you know, no, I won, no, we, yeah, we're going to go ahead with this because everybody really wants it. So we got all the votes saying no, 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 and they're going to go, um, yep, it's uh, really, this is what the world needs and we'd like you to pay for it. If it's that good, guys, pay for it yourself. Do you know, all you guys who really want it, put your hands in your pocket, it's all yours and we'll follow dutifully. Uh, it's going to cost you a fair few quid and it's not going to work very easily, but hey, anyway, we have a little chat about that. Um, the only other responsibility I've got is to tell you where we're going to do the podcast walk for the 29th of February at 2pm. Well, I can tell you it's somewhere in Norfolk, and I haven't done any more thinking about it since last week. So 29th, 2pm, in your diary. This is probably why I'll be walking on my own again. But again, you know, just think how incredibly fit I haven't managed to make myself in the last 12 months because we've been doing it for 12 months now and uh, yeah anyway who cares um, I thoroughly enjoy doing it and anyone who turns up I think has done in the past as well so that's it for this week you've got uh, Ben Webby and myself have a great week and statistically in the last 30 years the low of the market has been in January six times in February six times in November and December, I think it's nine between them. So the winter months, going back 30 years studying the data, the lowest low of the market has occurred in those four months on, let's do my maths, uh, six, 12, 17, 21 times out of 30 years. So if there's any glimmer of hope, uh, it is statistically two thirds more likely to be we've seen the bottom in during these months of Jan and Feb than, than not. There you go. Something to cling to. Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. We want to take a moment to thank all of you for listening and to ask you to help us grow our audience by leaving a rating and review telling us what you like about our podcast. On Apple Podcasts, you can easily do this by scrolling down our show page, selecting a star rating, 
and tapping write a review. Okay, this week is an in-house and we've got a couple of uh, interesting subjects we've just been discussing in the office. So I have got with me Ian. Hello. And Ben. Hello. And we have, uh, Ian and I have been to the Norfolk Farming Conference this morning, haven't we Ian? Yeah, I kind of, I quite enjoyed it. It's been, when the last go, six years ago. Mm-hmm. We thought we'd make it an effort and go and, yeah, it's good. Yeah. Some parts of it. The most striking thing, the thing you mentioned first was the soggy crisps, wouldn't you? But that was, you know. Yeah. But I thought I enjoyed my lunch. It was a good lunch, you know. And every time I go into the back bit where the cups of coffee were, I was eating something. And your wife walked past every time. She went, eating again, Andrew. Did she? Yeah. She didn't go and see Ian. No, no. He, he was hiding in the corner eating. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realise that she was fattest, picking on <laughs> short stuff. Anyway. Yeah, no, what do you think of the conference? Yeah, it was interesting. The topic of conversation, though, literally that occurred within every speaker's comments was sustainability, wasn't it? Carbon, the environment, SFI. I think there's a real worrying trend, and I um, so I'd kiss your ass in a comment earlier because I listened to last week's podcast yes. this morning. And you are right, we are leading in the wrong direction, I think, in terms of UK production. And it's happening very quickly. But we've said that the last three weeks, haven't we? Yeah, we keep going on about the same. We keep going, yeah. Yeah, so in the sense that all I can remember is, given I obviously wrote a bit of a hard time about last week, what did I say? I can't remember what I said now. I think you pretty much said don't grow it. Yeah, don't grow oilseed rape, that's the clear message, but what else? I mean, you talked about government direction Ah. and where it's going to go. So there was, and I'm going to have to look this up because I was very diligent. I actually took some notes on my phone and really I can't even remember his name. The Right Honourable Mark Spencer yep. was there. He spoke very, very much like a farmer, didn't he? He really him. tuned in with the way that farmers hear things. I think it helps that he is a farmer himself. Yeah, clearly. That language is the language they understand. Yeah, yeah. He said the right things. There was a few bits in there. So SFI was a key thing, and they've obviously helping farmers with all the support they're putting out there. But they are, we're seeing this, they're fearful that whole blocks go out to SFI. Well, he kind of alluded to yeah. that if he said, you lot got to play ball, if all of you do that, we'll pull back and you can't do all of that. Exactly. Like, Hang on, someone just sold all their machinery and just bought a whole grass yeah. cutter. Suddenly told they can't do it anymore. It's a little bit late. That's not the object of the exercise of what they're trying to achieve. But in places, I mean, as the land agent will say, if you're not making eight and a half tonnes a hectare, then... The thing I liked about his speech when he said... They were going to do rapid consultation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And rapid something else, wasn't it? In other words, they didn't really want to it. answer that. Rapid talking about it. Well, the reality was, like, yes, he spoke the language. Yes, if he'd been in that seat for 13 years, continuity with an actual understanding of what goes on next as a farmer, we might be in a much better place. But the reality is he's standing up there as a government minister of a government that has been there for 13 and a half years. And potentially about to get kicked out of his job. Yeah, which is the the rapid consultation is after 13 and a half years of controlling, of being in control. So what on earth are they doing at the very end of it, having rapid consultation? They're basically trying to plug the hole at the very end. I suspect when it comes down to it, he came up with a brilliant idea and he went to the top man and said, look, you know, this is what I think the farmers need. The PM's going to go, it's not going to get me any votes, mate, 1.4%, you don't matter. Cheap food's what I want, imports, forget your lot. Sorry, pal, nothing for you. Although slightly in their defence, I think the world of agriculture is very different to what it was four years ago. Yeah. The conversation we're having about... Climate. Climate, the environment, carbon, it's evolving very, very quickly. Climate? 
was mentioned first in the 1970s when the you know nuclear power no thanks went out the window they needed something else to fight over and it became climate change mm-hmm. 70s you know before you were born so whoever's been in government ever since the deniers for three decades and then the people the last 10 years it has become apparent mm-hmm. hasn't it it's not just the last four true or is it the last four that finally even the most obvious deniers are having to admit there might be something going on it's a proper you know, it's two minutes to midnight on your yeah, doomsday clock. Yeah. My point is, he, unfortunately for him, despite being very palatable as a speaker to farmers, is in a indefensible position because of the policy of the last X number of years, mm. even the last four years. Yeah. So... The other point, I mean, he must have listened to our podcast because they discussed <laughs> labelling. They asked a question about it, but he didn't answer that. He did bring it up, but he said there needs to be... Everyone needs to be made far more aware, and they are going to go through a consultation of labelling. That should be just about finished by... consultation. Kick that can down the road. Yeah, so the next lot come in, and there's no answer to the consultation. (laughs) True. So it's not going to happen, is it? The election's going to come, and we're not going to get anywhere on labelling on food. If I was to give, you know... Any party helping hand, that is a really important matter. However, it will probably push food prices up if they have to start labelling stuff that is dirt cheap and multi processed, which in turn is not going to be what they do because they need to get in power above everything else. Conscience, actual beliefs out the window, we need to get in power, then we can do something about it, is the way it works. Yeah, back to my dictatorship, that's what we need. Yeah, well, we all know who's going to be El Presidente, don't we? Who's that? Obvious. Me. No. <laughs> <laughs> you do look slightly Churchillian. Well, Bish used to call me El Duce. <laughs> Webby, you would love it if Andrew was the dictator, right? There'd be Andrew, there'd be you in the background. I'll take the bullet, I'll take the bullet. Jumping across. <laughs> Be like a falling oak tree. Who should we put in charge of concentration camps? Anyway, um, <laughs> oh. and who should we now put, hang on a who minute? Who should we put in there? Is um, this? I'm not, you know, my huh? German heritage. Oh no, no, no! That wasn't a dig at you, but that's but now. Well, there it is now. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think of that. I didn't even get to there. You are. I thought you. Oh, were I've ruined that. Of... Moving on, the conference, right? So it's food was good. Can we go through some of the? Go Otherwise, on. my notes are wasted. Go on. <laughs> See you later. I wrote. Homework, homework is rewarded. Yeah. Yeah. Next, we had uh, Professor Brian Reed from UEA, who mm-hmm. I thought was quite yeah, he was good. Yeah, we liked him. Talked about the different types of carbon in soils. So he talked about stable carbon and accessible carbon. That yes, accessible. Correct. Yep. Yeah, and he's trialling loads of stuff to get long-term carbon back in the soil, yeah. uh, which I thought was quite interesting. And he's actually doing a trial with one of our farmers. Yeah, yeah. Steve Killerman, his paper. Yeah, that sounds quite interesting. It's like a mulch, which is yeah, yeah, yeah a recycled product. Yeah. Yeah, he was good and he was interesting. Yeah. Then we had a Dutch attaché, a guy called Philip de Jong. He said one of the biggest issues in Holland is that they're trying very hard to cut back on ammonia emissions from livestock. Mm-hmm. And I'm afraid the simple answer to that was just literally reduce the number of livestock. And that's where their pressure is. He said they're also trying to reduce the level of pesticides and nitrates in water, mm-hmm. which is a bit obvious again, isn't it? But they have real strict like policies or targets to hit for that use less water was another thing they're very water dependent i suppose with all their greenhouses get um, less from more yeah growing all that cannabis less. it's got to get take some water doesn't it 
Did you make Biden a friend? Uh, no, the bit that I really liked, and I was just talking to Ben about this. So they have regional policies that are centrally funded. Oh, yeah, that's Which true. I think would fit us really well, because the policy, ag policy for Norfolk should be a very different policy to the Dales or wherever. Yeah. I thought that was really sensible. Yeah, I totally agree. Give lots yeah. of money to big producing counties. Yeah. And then ones that have lots of houses like Essex don't give them anything. No, but my point being, so you know the old, but your yeah your land types are, are different. You yeah, can't no, totally. have one fits no. all package for the whole of the UK. Well, which I can't jump in on the Andy Cato bit. Can I? Yeah, you got. Well, no, I've still got, I've still got one more, two more to go. Because that, that well, that's the headline, wasn't it? So that was yeah. Right. So next one was a guy called Craig Livingston. And he was really stone. good. Yep. Really yeah. good presenter. Yeah. Great. Lockerley Estate <clears throat> and Preston Farms. Hampshire. Yeah, Hampshire. One takeaway he said he's actually been splitting his fields up to, I think it's 120 metres from each hedgerow. To get predators into yeah, the field. To predators into the field to then reduce um, yeah, pesticides. Yeah. I thought it was really interesting. I thought he was very good at presenting. Very, very great. polished, yeah. wasn't he? And yeah, yeah. interesting. Yeah, I like so that. Had the same haircut as you as well, didn't he? Yeah, good looking. So, Someone we're not going to get a phone call from now. He was brilliant, and ah, he was very much into solar. I mean, his gross margins on solar, I thought, were really good. But, but yeah, no, a really good <clears throat> business model. Um, yeah, the so solar very, one, because he'd got in early on it. He, and he did, big, yeah. Yeah, so that's, but then, good for him. Yeah, so no, I thought that was good. And then, this is where my notes finished. Mm-hmm. But then we had, I think it's Professor Lydia Smith from NIAB. Yeah. So I talk about cover cropping and high carbon capture cropping, Talked about microbiology being a massive subject. Lower fungicide rates and the zero mint-till debate. And then also looked at some covers of like flax and hemp as being quite yeah, a good which ones. Is, yeah, flax and hemp. Yeah. Ben knows a lot about hemp. Yeah, and looked at the end products. that There was loads of ranges you know, of different products that you can go into. And it just, yeah, it's It's funny you sit there and you problem. daydream. When you, you, someone says a word, hemp, you think, oh, you know, insulation, anything. Your mind wanders off to wool. Went off to wool on insulation. There's all that wool. All these yeah. sheep are going to come on these new farming systems. Bucket loads of wool you can't give away. That's got to be. There's got to be an opportunity for wool to be the insulation product for houses. Surely, surely. There are wool insulation products, Andrew. Yeah, I've seen them. That, it's like, there'll be so much of it. It's, you can't <laughs> give the stuff away, apparently. I mean, I'm moving on from hemp and Lydia, no, you know, Dr. Yeah. Lydia's speech and all that. It's just where my little mind went. Off I went, a little daydream, thinking about inventing a, a worsted, because that's where wool capital used to be, kind of worsted weave and all that. Worsted wool factory for insulation to save the planet. Anyway, I stopped there and woke up and had, a, had some more treats, so Izzy could well, catch me eating. Yeah, <laughs> went to eat some more crisps. Good notes, Webby. Yeah, good notes. Yeah, that's the most you've so, ever written, even in your degree, yeah. I think. So... Andy Cato bit then came on. Well, he was clearly the headline, and for the farmers that aren't aware of the music scene, he's Groove Armada. Whatever that is. A bit of a dude, really. I mean, massive yeah. guy. Tall, even taller than yeah. you, isn't he? Yeah. Clearly ultra passionate about farming. Now that he is one, yeah. Yeah. And no, he admitted that he had to go and do music to keep his head above water because he started growing it a bit like Jeremy Clarkson, but without a Caleb. And he he's, admitted he screwed up. Yeah, he's learned as he's gone on. But he's now evolved into it being really interested in the dynamic of soil, roots, and different plants in the field at the same time. So you're no longer just monoculturing it. And the benefits and the, like, the lower yields. The soil health was interesting. And I've always been a bit cynical about it. So there's two parts of it. I think 
he was very open about his gross margins. He had yep. some land that he had that was farmed with, I forget what it was, wild farm. There was intercropping with various pulses and cereals. Yep. I thought it was interesting because in his gross margin, he had SFI down on that. For whatever reason, it was 370-odd quid's worth of SFI payment annually. Mm. It was great. The bit that really worried me is his yields were five tonne a hectare. Mm. But it was more profitable than the conventional like well, nine tonne a hectare. Increased plans per tonne, plus he's getting SFI payment on yeah. it. Because he's got multi-crop yes, product. Yeah. yeah. If that works, the thing I don't get, if you have beans and wheat together, and you're trying to grow milling wheat, he's talking about bread wheat, he's talking yeah. about, is getting milling wheat ripe and keeping the hagberg and the beans being fit enough to combine. I don't see that. No. I, don't, I, I think yeah. there's a very expensive drying cost on the beans, or they're going to mush through the combine, yeah. or I can't see how the, how the wheat holds on unless the weather's really you know continental and very hot all the way through for three weeks, and they both come ready and the, the hagberg is still there. That's my concern. And yeah. also, beans in particular, if you keep having a rotation with that in it, I don't know how tight his rotation is, in the end, land gets bean sick, pulses yeah, it does, sick, yeah. doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. How many years has he done it? That's just old practical yeah. farming questions, which yeah. nobody asked those questions. His farm's in France, though, isn't it? He's got a tenancy down in somewhere or another. Oh, OK. Farm oh. Yeah. I think he's near Swindon, I think. So, yeah, he's farming in the UK. And he's got 100 people well, he's now got using yeah, his method around the country, producing his product. Yeah. And there's one in Norfolk, which we're going to go and visit. Yeah, someone stood up and said, look, I'm part of this, and we're Mark, going to be Mark three years. Mayhew, it? wasn't it? Yeah. He said, come and have a look. He invited us. He invited yeah. everybody to come and have a look, so we'll go and have a look. And I know that Rob Alexander's involved in the farm this yeah. year, so he'll be there to actually have a mm. firm opinion on it on the basis of real-life I must admit, it did change my views on a bit, because I thought it was... It's going to sound really rude. More of a fairy tale idea rather than a commercial. It must have um, shook up some yeah. of the very conventional farmers. We're not farmers. We've got a, from that stock. We kind of understand it to a degree, but not the realities of it. No. I was impressed with his presentation, his skills of making the argument. But as we said, the one scary fact in the system is yield. You know, you're not going to feed the world on that system. No, that's true. You're going to limit supply. Prices go up. If you're going to look at it in a simple economic um, time. Yep. That is the dilemma we face is as much to do with runoff and nitrates in water and farming incorrectly and soil health and longevity of the soil as it is about having big yields for the next 30 years and then not having any yields at all. It comes it? back to uh, yeah, Webby's dictatorship and Malthusian economic theory of the world can only sustain a certain amount of population and then they all have to die off and then it can come back again. Indeed, absolutely. And as El Duce, I'll be the person choosing. <laughs> Two legs good, four legs bad. No, it's the way around, I can't remember. It's Animal yeah. Farm, it's nothing to do with El Duce, is it? So that leads us on to the Catalyst crew at the mm-hmm. end, Paul Hoveson and Dominic. Again, I thought it was quite interesting. Data was their subject matter. But it was all around, you know, soil health, and it's the most important asset any farmer is soils. And really what Andy Cato is doing is that is exactly it. It's about... Soil health, isn't it? The Catalyst didn't give any information away, but they did highlight the extreme study of data highlights the optimum time to be doing stuff. And if you keep looking at that data annually and follow a pattern allowing for weather, you should optimise your 
level of input, depth of cultivation, yeah. and the difference yeah. in oil or, or diesel usage, diesel, etc. Yeah. Every single detail being analysed, speed of getting through the process. I thought there the really interesting slide for me was the drilling date slide. Yeah. So they put one in, and it was I forget when they first started. Let's say first week of September, but anything after was it the twentieth of September? I can't remember now. Yeah. But between that and the end of October, it's two and a half ton yield. Forty kilos a day. Forty kilos a day. But it's sort of almost yeah, first end of the first week of October. The thing I found interesting was the assessment, having really looked at the figures in terms of optimum fertilizer rate, optimum yield, optimum yep. yeah, they're doing this trials they're doing, but the best net return was on agrochemicals. They've got rid of professional agronomists who are going to flog as much okay, as they yeah. can, and they're doing it themselves on some of the farms, but using 50% of the insecticide or the herbicide, whatever it was they were yeah. using, had a greater net return than using 100% or 150% yeah. or nil. So the optimum use was lower than the recommended rate. Mm. Now, that can't be good for the chemical selling companies who've got okay. all those agronomists. They're going to be saying, push it at the full rate reality is it looked like 50% was a better net return. Obviously, again, weather willing. It's going to be very difficult to analyse the data, isn't it, because of the weather, and the weather's always going to chuck up anomalies. But the longer they've started, they're two, three years in, yeah, it's great what's been collected. And what they'll learn from that is going to be, yeah, invaluable. We'll encourage a few farmers to be more detailed in their assessment. I think one of the difficult spots in the conference was the youngsters that came up on stage. I think the person with them could have kind of led them a bit more. That was a tough one. The young scholars or the people who'd yep. been sponsored, yeah, scholars, Nuffield scholars at times. Yes. That was a tough call because you're kind of in the room there with a whole load of knowledge. And there you are, young bucks sitting on the stage. And I think one of the questions was, what question would you ask this or what could you learn from the audience? And they kind of didn't come up with another. Either they were very shy or extremely confident, and I think the crowd took it as cocky little Yeah, moves. it's a really difficult feature. I mean, I remember, I mean, since a long time ago, and they had the John Innes, and there was the young crowd. There was different sectors they were all in. It's tough for them to gauge the dynamic yeah. of what you need to deliver to that crowd. They're a hardened crowd. I've stood in front of them, and, yeah. you know, that poor lady's slides went wrong. That reminded me of that. Yeah, oh, she dealt with it really well. Yeah, no, she, yeah, yeah. she nailed it, but God. Anyway, so stand up in front of that lot and your slides go wrong. Believe me, they're a tough crowd to please. But they are anyway. And as a youth, I think they needed a bit more crafting or leading or something to bring out the best in what the point they're trying to make. I mean, it's great. It's giving them experience and they're inevitably going to be there again in a few years' time leading their businesses and being able to talk with depth on it. But Mm. that was a tough gig, I thought. Yeah. And then we got to confess, we legged it after the catalyst talk, didn't we? We wanted to get back and into the office and stuff to do and so yeah, we did I mean, leave the last bit Josh is there as the grown up yeah. I think there was Morris, someone from Morrison's on this afternoon I can't remember who else Morrison's were very pro the digital grain passport weren't they was it that no Red Tractor that's it that's what they were yeah. which is kind of seamless you see that well hang on I hate to interrupt your flow but we've done the conference we should leading on from that is the change in the EU isn't it mm, not having done such a seamless segue Right, seamless segue, digital grain passport. Interesting that following the advert in the Farmers Weekly, there was a poll with the NFU for their members to vote on whether they approved or wanted to go with the DGP. And the English NFU, 75% said, eh, eh, didn't they? Yeah. And, and the, the poll Scottish. on the Farming Forum was 83% 
Now, that's interesting, don't no. you think? Do you think the It's a Done Deal committee can pull it off now? Can they go completely tone-deaf and blind and pretend that hasn't happened and still force the farmers' money to be spent on this and, thing? But, sorry, beyond the polls, but the NFU have written an open letter saying they're not supporting the digital well, they had to. They can't ignore the poll, can yeah. they? But that was on the result of not the necessarily the poll, but the consultation that's been going since October, I think it was. Okay. And they wrote all the points and said there are four different criteria they had to make. There were six criteria, three of them have not been fulfilled. One of them is one that we've always banged on about, which was cost. Uh, another one was benefit to the farmer. Yeah, which was getting the weight back. And then if you Scotland have also come out and said, no, we're not going to support it. So. Well, one would hope that everybody is listened to, but as I say, the steering committee have actually... Well, they've been given a direction. They've given a everybody's voting in this direction, yeah. yeah. So maybe it isn't a done deal. OK, so, no, not a done deal, but... They're not going to lie down, are they? We're not, yeah, I know, but we're not... Again, digitisation isn't a bad thing. It's just that what that project was proposing was a step backwards in terms of... We need, it's very clear, Red Tractor is in trouble. The Grain Passport is in trouble. The dynamic of farming four years ago to now, ten years ago to now, the farmers are much more professional in their storage, their attitude towards storage. Yes, they need an audit, but it doesn't need to be as ridiculous. It doesn't need to be repetitive on a number of subjects. They're going to be answering questions on their inputs in terms of in the future, people are going to be very, very critical of their inputs, assessing their data. So lots of the questions about that are going to be asked by someone looking at insetting or whatever the farming practice is. Yeah. So you don't need to ask farming practice questions for a grain handling aspect of an audit. The audit needs to be simpler. And if someone gains assurance, that is assurance. There's a number that applies to them. Mm-hmm. That is their farm assurance number. <coughs> they are grown-ups, they do the job properly. The task-registered lorry, in order to become task-registered, has to answer grown-up questions. Yeah. And it says we will not put anything on the lorry three or four loads in advance that are injurious. Therefore, they are grown-up and they are signed up to an insurance scheme and they are audited. Therefore, you do not need a passport. You only need a declaration if post-harvest pesticides have been used. That can be done without the passport. Yeah, cut the cost off completely. Because the assurance scheme should cover that. And there is confidence in the farm gate assurance and there is confidence in task assurance. That's it. Okay, so I have been in rooms where there have been arguments coming at me of saying, well, the passport is needed because it gives us food feed security and it doesn't the passport doesn't do that i know yeah this is being not the grower us being the supermarket stroke big end user they're basically saying it's not there otherwise of course it's there Mm. that's the whole point of the audit that's the whole point of a task assessment so you know who's leading this this is about cost cutting red tape being disposed of yes an audit is required Yes, every aspect of the food chain needs to prove that they know how to do it properly and genuinely prove it. But let's not be overzealous in our questioning because yeah. it's gone too far and they are little Hitlers, some of them. Some of them are nice, some of them aren't. Good. The Bye. German reference there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. See? You're very sensitive. I tell you, I'm surprised and I can't now, <laughs> we will hand over to Ben for the next section. <laughs> if you want me to be really stupid, I can. 
I didn't mention that because of your heritage, honestly. Anyway. Right. So, it's DGP, fight the good fight, let's get rid of it. Let's get rid of the passport. Yeah, yeah, let's get rid of the passport, simplify it, have something digital, no problem, but please, please. And if you talk to anyone in the grain trade who kind of knows their stuff, they will say the same thing. In fact, I know someone, A. Miller said to someone, well, what would you do? And he was like, I wouldn't have the passport. You don't need it. And it's right. Can't you say, I think there is a need for digitalisation, but in between five, ten years' time, when we know where the world of carbon goes and yeah. the data that's needed ah, to be held. No, that's a complete... That, that really but, is... But that ties into a whole host of securing all of the, the input yeah. effort they make being rewarded to the farmer. Then there's yeah. a tangible financial benefit to a farmer. Yeah, because they can monetize well, it somehow. Yeah, there's a proof. There is a benefit. proof of who's done this in a certain way yeah. to a certain number, which is your assurance number. So that person can say, "I'd like to collect my money passing go now because I've done all these things." Yeah. As opposed to it being nipped off the top by someone looking okay. back down the line, going, yeah. "Aha, he does those things." I can say to my biscuit yeah. maker, my drink maker. All of the wheat in this bin has gone through this yeah. particular process. Every, I'll have an extra. For example, everything is given a you know a carbon rating. This is how many tons of carbon that is used to produce this crop. Fine, and there's a huge amount of data, but none of us know where that's going yet. Even you know it was discussed this morning. No one knows where that market is going to go. It will be very different, even twelve months time. But that's a five-year-down-the-line conversation. Farmers have historically moaned about just having a raw material price and everybody above them getting all the money. The point we put that strap line with all of the merchants fairness fighting for fairness at the farm gate is all about that process. This money has got to go to the people who are physically putting as much carbon as they can or holding as much carbon as they can in the ground. And also on this point, obviously, as a group of independent, smaller merchants... We've been openly attacked by several people. Miss uh, Richard Whitlock. Wow, Miss, there's a pot calling a kettle there, isn't there? When does a dinosaur call someone else a dinosaur? <laughs> right. right, so I'll be a dinosaur, but who's the other one? The point being, he's called anyone who disagrees with digital grain passport. Every argument was used 15 years ago, but the reality is it's gone beyond that. And it's making that link between anyone who dares to say, hang on a minute, is therefore an idiot. If they actually say, hang on a minute, I've got a really good point here that's going to cost us more money on all the things we've done, and then the farmers see it and vote against it, it means that it's actually a really good, strong argument. And as I say, it doesn't mean that you're anti-progress. All of us want our lives to be easier, but we don't want it to just cost money blindly and take all those crazy risks on data storage and shit. Yeah, and I hope, I mean, I hope Richard listens to the podcast. I think he does sometimes, but... Depends if his hearing aid's turned up. To <laughs> <laughs> okay. saying, I'd love to have Richard on here. I know. I think he'd yeah, be Richard, hilarious. I think you've got a free invite on. I mean, two things. I think, you know, sadly you missed the point. Did I? It, no, Richard Whitlock. Oh. In the, we're not, as Andrew said, we're not against digitisation. We would welcome it with open arms. But don't digitise the old system, because that's not progress. Yeah. Here, yeah. here. Yeah. So, can I just say, on the Farming Forum, I don't know who... I mean, I've got to be careful what I say, but one of the comments had me in stitches. It was the bloke that they were talking about the app and the digitisation and one farmer put, I'm going to need an app to take a shit soon. (laughs) Beautifully put. How agricultural. Anyway, so now we'll move on to that next bit, which ironically came out a short while just before we turned these mics on, which is the EU have backed down on emission 
Well, the farming process are working. But the thing is, you're right, the EU have now said, OK, let's not hammer farmers to limit all these emissions, let's work with them. But the farmers are still protesting because they still have points to make. And Spain is, is the next one to grind to a halt. Uh, very effective, this. Some of the videos on social media are awesome. Fair play, they've not done it gently, they've gone hard. You know, emptying a slurry tank down the street, I mean, the forage harvesters. They've like, the road. They planted a crop on one road, haven't they? Do you see that? This motorway's got single track, and then there's a bloke going up and down with a drill. I don't know whether they actually ploughed it up, but I think they put topsoil on just to make oh, the right. point. That's quite impressive. There's the tractors fleeing and driving over hedges and all sorts. I mean, it's like absolute mayhem. Well, that was the question I kind of had burning in the back of my throat for the minister today. You know, I thought, should I get the mic and go, are you ready for the farmers' revolt in the UK, the siege of London? Yeah. <laughs> he would have gone, no, wouldn't he? <laughs> they're certainly not ready there's one or two people in the I was talking to them the conversation comes up there's definitely the more of a fighting mind at the moment there's a disgruntlement about the farming community without any doubt not helped by the prices being shite and all the rest of it yeah but the Europeans farmer has led the way and, and as I was discussing earlier European elections are coming up and it looks like a lot of these far right parties could get voted in because they are saying to the farmer, we are on your side and we will help you. And the farmers are going, well, that's all I want, so I will vote for you. So the EU it could be under a lot of strain in the next six months if a lot of these parties start to get seats. Well, I hope they don't do what the UK lot did and turn their back on the national anthem and all the embarrassing stuff. Oh. Oh. But, I mean, I guess, you know... You know, the EU is... It won't break up, but <sighs> it might just show them that, yeah, you can't just force through all this green agenda and alienate a whole sector of the economy. No, it doesn't work, true. does it? No. I guess, I mean, just to cheer up, you know, one of our directors and David, who was at our um, <laughs> oh, yeah, AGM Brexit. yesterday, uh, who voted Brexit, I mean, he must be really... I think we're all realising that all those European countries are looking at the UK thinking, oh my goodness, they've got it with jam on. They've got it so easy in the UK. I mean, you know, they don't have to worry about queuing at borders. They don't have to worry about anything. They can export freely without checks on... Oh no, hang on, I got that wrong. Yeah. I? <laughs> I can only assume they're just envying our fantastic position. Yeah. <laughs> Not quite sure what they're envying, but yeah. That's for you, David. Anyway, good. Well, that was a good chat, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, no, that was yeah, very good, and I'm, I'm really impressed with your notes, Ian. Yeah, so, I was. Yeah, you yeah, you look pleased with yourself, aren't yeah. you? I'm going to tell Izzy, because Izzy was there watching, don't mind. Yeah. <laughs> Make some notes. Uh-oh. So we went separately, different cars. <laughs> like so the royal family. She was sort of like fishing around all my old, I've got weirdly loads of our notebooks. Oh, yeah. You know, little pads. It's an old base run, that's how old it was, actually. Oh, now yeah. FC Stone. And she found it, she said, oh, I can have this. I was like, yeah, fine. And I said... Oh, these yeah. are empty notebooks. You've never written yeah, a note I was in like, just, Yeah, never, never written a I've note. I've seen your notes before. Yeah, I know, oh, never written a note. And I said, oh, you don't need one of those. There'll be a pack on the seat. And she's no, like, wasn't. I'm just going to take one just in case. I was like, oh, don't be stupid. You won't need it. You'll get pens. Uh, literally walked in. Yeah, no nothing. pack. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, even more disappointing. No bacon butty. Let's hope she doesn't remember that. I think she oh, probably will. <laughs> you are young, but you will learn. <laughs> anyway, right, with that, thanks for listening, everyone. Cheers. Thank you.
Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get updates on new episodes and follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. We are at Dewing Grain. Alternatively, you can call us on 01263 731 550 or email info at dewinggrain.co.uk. 